Hello, welcome everybody. SF Live episode 146 this Monday morning. We'll be joined by Matt Geiger in a few short seconds. He's managing partner at MJG Capital and it's Expert Monday. So we got a market expert, market insider talking to us and talking about his views on the market. We're going to talk super cycle. We're going to talk commodity exposure. We're going to see which commodity he favors for the rest of the year. And uh, we'll probably get a couple stock picks out of him or at least some, fav uh, some, some fun favorites out of him. So stay tuned till the end when we talk about those. Make sure to stay tuned there as well. But before we switch over to Matt, please be reminded to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, hit that little support, uh, follow and subscribe button, hit that bell notification icon as well. That way you get notified when we go live with another interview. As you know, we do all interviews live, so make sure to use that to your advantage and tune in. By the way, on Thursday, we hosted George Ogilvy of Battle North Gold. We mentioned the company as a takeover candidate in our YouTube title. They got taken out this weekend. So if you watched our interview, congrats. Hopefully you acted on it. But uh, now enough of that. Let's switch over to Mr. Matt Geiger. Matt, welcome on the program. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, Kai. Great to be on with you. Um, oh, it's great to. It, it, I have to say, it's just great to see you again, man. Like it's been too long. Uh, we've been to, uh, to a couple side visits together before, and uh, can't wait to do the next one with you. It seems like vaccinations are finally speeding up. You're in the U.S., so you're way ahead of the curve. But uh, like, like to think, yeah. Biden, Biden said last week that by May first, all U.S. adults will be able to sign up for vaccination. So we'll see if that means that you have to sign up and then wait a few months, or you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm fully vaccinated by June and can finally get out of the Bay Area and, and do, do something fun here. Um, but I, I was thinking back, I think the, the last time we were in person was on the Yukon Mining Alliance tour. And that, that was a real blast. That would have been back it was, in 2019. It's like almost two years ago now. Well, yeah, it feels, like a world way. it feels like a world yeah. way, really. <laughs> insane. But uh, since you're the first time on the show, and uh, maybe some have, haven't heard about you, maybe you quickly introduce yourself, and then we'll talk also to MJG Capital. You'd be happy to. So I manage the MJG Capital Fund uh, out of San Francisco. It's a full uh, natural resource focused uh, limited partnership. Uh, it's pretty plain vanilla in terms of the structure. Um, we'll hold between 15 to 25 investments at any given time. Uh, nice concentrated uh, positions. Uh, we're, we're long only. And, um, you know, a, a good good mix uh, between different commodities. We're not precious metal focused. We're not battery metal focused. Um, my, my focus as an, as an investor is much more on the people involved, much more on the quality of asset, much more on the company's financial structure, upcoming catalysts, et cetera. The actual commodity they're focused on is often, uh, often an afterthought. Um, but at, at the moment, just for your listeners reference, you know, we're roughly 50% weighted precious metals, 50% weighted uh, batteries, metals, if you wanted to look at it through that lens. And yeah, in terms of, of initiating new positions, um, about half of ours are initiated through open market purchases um, and then half through private placements, uh, just depending on the company's uh, specific situation and working capital position and all that good stuff. Interesting. You already mentioned a couple of things I want to ask you on later, like stock selection. What do you look at? We're going to dive a little deeper into that, but uh, let's stay on the fund for, for a moment. Because one thing that, that jumped out at me just in preparing for this interview as well, and maybe because I watched the big short over the weekend, was uh, <laughs> that you you have your investors locked in for 10 years, right? And I remember the scene when Michael Burry types out that email to his investors um, that they can't withdraw any of the funds that caused a bit of a chaos and mayhem and emails kept pouring in, phones were ringing. Um, but but you said 10 years from the get-go, right? So without okay. being able to withdraw your funds. Like what's the the, the idea behind that? So the, the rationale, um, I'll first say I want to give a little credit to, to Rick Rule. He was one of the folks that gave me the confidence to do this way, way back in the day. Um, his, his expiration capital 
partner funds. And, and for the record, Rick has just stepped aside after uh, decades, uh, first with Global Resource Investment Limited, and then more recently over the past decade or so with uh, with the Sprott Group. Um, you know, he, he was well known for launching partnerships, you know, r- roughly every year, and they came with a 10 year lockup attached. So, I mean, the pros, um, the, the pros of going with the structure is that you're self-selecting for long-term patient capital, and you're basically eschewing any hot money. Uh, the investors have to believe in me, have to believe in the structure. Um, and secondly, you, you have the right structure in place for what is the most volatile and cyclical industry out there, uh, maybe aside from from shipping. <laughs> and uh, we've seen good times, Kyle. We've seen bad times. And uh, I think it's really, really important to to approach this space with the long-term time horizon and to be able to weather the ups and downs that are inherent with, with, with junior mining investing. So I think it's the absolute right structure um, and, and gives us the greatest chance of, of success and also protects against some of our partners, um, some of which are very sophisticated and do junior mining investing in their own portfolios and in, in addition to investing in the MJG fund. Others have never invested in a mining stock in their life and never want to, and they may be based out of Silicon Valley, and this is their their only hard asset exposure. And so by putting this, this structure in place, it really prevents against some of these uh, investors really pulling out their uh, money at the very worst times, you know, think late 2015 or even March 2020, right, during the, the coronavirus panic. So those are the positives. The negative, of course, and I can say this from personal experience, it's much more difficult to raise money. Uh, you know, I'm sure we would have three to four X, if not more, uh, you know, a- AUM under under management uh, if, if we didn't put or if I hadn't put such a draconian lockup in, in place. Um, but for me, especially as you can tell, I'm a younger guy. You know, my goal here is purely returns. Uh, I actually own 25 percent of the fund uh, myself. And so from my perspective, I've put the structure in place that puts us in the best position for, for success. And for this cycle, that's that's all that matters to me. This is not about fees. Uh, this is about doing really well. And uh, and and hopefully, you know, we're up 600 percent over the past five years. And I think there's a chance we can do something similar over these these next five. We'll, we'll see. Fantastic. You you mentioned something I wanted to touch on. I wasn't planning on asking you that, but uh, you mentioned your, of course, Silicon Valley investors. So more sentiment wise, like, of course, we see a lot of hot money in Bitcoin and tech stocks right now. Do you see a bit of interest flowing your way? Uh, at least have the conversations increased in terms of hard assets, commodities? Are investors thinking, oh, maybe I'll take some money off the Bit- out of the Bitcoin trade, for example, and put it into a hard real asset? Yeah. So good question. I mean, we, we've been in business for close to 10 years at this point. And for the first nine years, I would say absolutely not. Very little overlap between Silicon Valley and junior resources, even though it, to me that's, that, that never made sense because uh, there are a lot of venture capital focused uh, investors here that are used to speculating on big outcomes, you know, understand the concept of making 10 or 15 bets. And, you know, you can make a ton of money even if only a few of them pay out uh, if you focus on, on big opportunities um, that pay out you know, multiples if, if you're correct. But for some reason, they're never able to make the jump. One of the main reasons is probably because these are publicly traded equities and viewed as penny stocks by folks in, in my neck of the woods. Um, you know, whereas the Silicon Valley model is the complete opposite. You try to keep the companies private for as long as humanly possible and then dump them onto an unsuspecting retail audience through an IPO at as high of a valuation as the market can bear. Uh, I'm sorry, maybe that's a bit cynical, but that to me seems like the Silicon Valley model. But to your question, yes, um, just in the past, we'll say six or nine months, 
Uh, I'll have to give credit to Elon Musk, who's not not one of my uh, favorite gentlemen out there, but to his credit, he's brought a lot of eyeballs into onto battery metals and, and nickel in particular. And then Chamath as well from Social Capital uh, has been talking a lot about, um, I mean, he's been behind MP Materials, which is not a fund holding, but, done, but has done really well, um, has brought some attention over to, to, to battery metals or energy metals, whatever you want to classify rare earths as, and also is, is, seems to be looking at other climate change focused in, investing. So I actually have seen a, a shift over the past uh, six, nine months, and it's, it's kind of been exciting. It's, it's been a long wait. Yeah, that's awesome to hear and see, of course, because I think we need to bit of a shift in thinking as well. Of course, battery metals are attracting the attention. Let's talk commodities, right? So we opened the door there to commodities. Um, let's stay on battery metals for, for a minute, and we'll talk about gold, silver, and, and, and base metals to a degree, which are battery metals. Depends on how you want to classify it. But uh, right. where, where are we in the cycle right now? I know there's been a lot of hype. Copper shot up to 430. Nickel raised up. I don't have the exact price in mind right now. But uh, there's been a bit of a hype. The stocks have come back a little bit. Prices have come down a little bit. Seems to be a bit of a consolidation phase right now like where where are we at in the cycle sure well, well speaking more generally and i think this is an important chart to look at there are a few other ones that have similar uh messages but just look at the gsci relative to the s p 500 very back of the envelope um but you can see that even after this run that we've had over the past uh, 12 months that commodities as a whole commodities as a basket have only been this cheap relative to the, the general stock market twice in the past 50 years. So I still think broadly we're, we're in a very good space and that what, that's what gives me confidence over the next five, six, seven years. You know, it's, it's hard to have an exact time, time frame, but I think we're, we're in for a good run this decade, at least for most of this, this decade. I'll feel different when I look at that same chart and uh, you know maybe 2025 and then you see oh wow commodities have only been this expensive relative to the stock market twice in the past 50 years maybe at that point it's time to hit the exit so from that perspective i'm, I'm feeling good um i will say though and i've, I've said this in, on recent interviews um i am a bit nervy about the speculative fervor we're, we're seeing across the general market a little bit in junior resources as, as well but as you mentioned in, in growth stocks in cryptocurrencies nfts uh, it seems like people have completely forgotten the horror that we witnessed just a year ago in, in the spring of 2020. And now it's all about FOMO and whether you can 10x your money in the next six weeks. Yeah. And uh, that that makes me nervous. And uh, as you know well, Kai, we're, we're in a risky neck of the woods. And if the broader stock market sells off for reasons entirely unrelated to commodities, but the, but the market goes into risk off mode, we're going to get hit right in the chin. You know, and, and just like we saw in March last year, there's possibilities for 30, 40, 50 percent drawdowns in short orders, short orders. So I think it's important to, to emphasize that while I'm optimistic over the medium or longer term here, I think anything can happen here in, in the near term. And so, you know, the structure is in place that gives me confidence, but also just psychologically, I think it's important to, to brace yourself for that possibility and not get shaken out of the trade. Like, um, how, how active of a trader are you? Are you actually hedging? Like you, 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 you sort of expect a bit of a crash, but like are, how actively are you playing that anticipation? Like, do you buy puts on stuff or do you buy hedges on certain metals? No, no, for, for better, or for worse. Um, as, as I mentioned, we're pretty plain vanilla. So my, my hedge is cash yeah. for, for all intents and purposes. Um, and I, I wrote in our most recent investor letter that I expect to be up to 20% uh, cash by mid-year. That's been a bit of a challenge so far because even though we've been uh, not active at all, um, de deploying capital, uh, we've had warrants, uh, warrants accelerated, we've had warrants uh, that are well in the money come up to their expiry date. And so we're kind of treading, treading water here, but between inflows and some selling, I'm, I'm hoping to get a decent, a decent uh, cash position by mid-year. 
just just to yeah just to provide some uh, some brace uh, against a, a a major a major market correction. And maybe maybe I'll be wrong, and, and things will continue to run as they have for the rest of the year. And if we're at twenty to thirty percent cash, then great. I mean, we were up one hundred thirteen percent last year. We were fully deployed. Yeah. If we'd been seventy percent deployed instead, we would have been up, you know, what eighty percent or so. That's still a phenomenal year. So I think it's important in times like these not to get too too greedy and to uh, to brace yourself for potential significant changes in sentiment. Very good point. And maybe because I watched it this weekend, The Big Short, obviously, like it's fresh in my mind. But so many themes seem to be replaying from the two thousand and eight crash. Like I couldn't. I was like, it felt like I was watching a movie that I played yesterday, right? Like you hear it, you. Cheap uh, an interest environment. People are buying condos left, right, and center. Some people own 20, 30 condos, right? And uh, it's sort of the Airbnb economy. You just buy it and rent it out, right? Like, fortunately, people can't travel, so maybe that's putting a damper a little bit on things. But it feels like that movie played yesterday, right? So it's it can't shake the feeling. Then you And I'm German, right? So I know what happened in the 1920s as well. I can't ignore that. Um, so I'm not sure where I was going with this comment, but it's like, are, are we going to see, like, is it, are we not learning from history? Like these hypes, there's so much cheap money. It's it's insane. Like are precious metals maybe the way to go? Well, it's, it, it is a tough market environment. I mean, there's a huge tug of war right now going on between the inflationist or hyperinflationist and uh, the deflationist. And I think you can make strong arguments on either side. I try not to get too bogged down. I think it's very important to have a general sense for where we are on the macroeconomic picture, but my focus, uh, you know, primarily is on individual stock selection and finding good companies, well-managed companies with exciting prospects at reasonable prices. Um, you know, that said, uh, you, you do have to have a sense where we are generally in the market. And yeah, I'm not a, a you know a registered investment advisor to give uh, give advice to your to your audience, but I do think it's important to have some risk-off assets in your portfolio at the moment and not just be all in on, on stocks or all in on cryptocurrencies, God, God forbid, you know, 20, 30% of your portfolio should probably be in physical gold or just in, in cash or in bonds or in, you know, treasury, uh, uh tips, um, you know, inflation protected, uh, treasuries. So, you know, I think it's important to kind of play both ways and to have both the risk on assets in your portfolio, but also the breaks that will, you know, protect some of your gains during during the next sell-off, whenever whenever that may be. So that's at least <laughs> the advice I'm giving to my parents and, and friends and family. And uh, it's tempting in times like this to go all in on risk assets, because that's what we've seen working for the past 12 months. But just just think back to where we were in March last year and really visualize how that felt and, uh, you know, how, how badly you wish you were in cash at that point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think kind of splitting the difference is okay. You don't have to be 100% right. It's better to be approximately uh, right than 100% wrong, right? That sounds like a good idea. Exactly. Yeah. So um, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about precious metals. Um, gold sort of seems, seems like it's rebounded a little bit from the lows. It, it's not really clear on direction just yet. We're just at 1730, if I'm not mistaken, uh, per ounce. Um, where, where do you see gold heading? Like, what's your what are your thoughts on the precious metal right right now? And you mentioned hyperinflation scenario, deflation scenario. Like, obviously, you're a commodity investor, so you got to be on the I would say on the hyperinflation scenario because that's helpful for us, I'd imagine. But uh, what are your thoughts in general? Right. So, yeah, it's been it's been a really tough six or seven months for gold here. And uh, you know, whether whether you're on Twitter or just just watching the market uh, generally, there's there's a lot of frustration out there. A lot of people second guessing whether precious metals are are the place to be, um, and we've we've seen 
a lot of assets, including cryptocurrencies, just skyrocket over this past six months, where, where gold and uh, and gold equities have, have really, um, at best, been consolidating. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 been a frustrating period. You know, my my firm conviction, and it's, it is potentially subject to change, but I, I do believe firmly that we are in the midst of a, of a precious metal bull market that will last well into this decade. Um, I think we're in a consolidation period right now. And, um, you know, I'm prepared as an investor to wait another six or nine months for this consol consolidation to kind of wrap up and for the next leg to, to go higher. Um, I try not to get too bogged bogged down in the uh, in technical analysis and TA and, and that kind of stuff. But I will say, I think it's pretty well understood that 1650 is kind of the next key level, at least for, for physical gold. And so based off of the sentiment and what we've seen out there, I think it's probably likely that we'll kiss or momentarily drop below that number, um, you know, before the, before the next leg higher here. So I'm not expecting a sudden uh, reversal. Um, but if that occurs, then great. I mean, as I mentioned, I think for gold in particular, we're 31% weighted in the MJG portfolio. It's our second highest weighting per metal, uh, just slightly behind copper. Um, but yeah, I will say, you know, back in August, we were 75% precious metal weighted and uh, between gold and silver. Unfortunately, I, I did make the decision to pause any new precious metal uh, in investments. And I think in hindsight, that was a good, a good decision because that was kind of the, at least the temporary peak in, in the market. And um, now, now's a good time to, you know, potentially back up the truck for some of those high quality, well-known companies, excellent management teams, uh, tier one assets, uh, you know, that, that you thought was maybe a little too expensive over, over the summer. Well, so I've, I think, I've seen a couple of stocks actually sort of bottom last week and they actually made the turnaround. And one stock I'm just going to mention because I own it and I've noticed it is, for example, Minera Alamos. It traded all the way down to 50 cents and now we're back over 60 cents again. And that's the same chart pattern I've seen actually in a couple like developers and, and uh, like higher quality juniors as well. Very similar, bottomed last week, and they seem to be turning around. So I'm curious to see where this is going. Um, and too. you're going to mention a couple of names at the end of our conversation that you have in your fund that you like a lot, because I want to hear what your copper exposure is, how are you playing that, and also what your biggest gold positions are, obviously. So I'm curious. So stay tuned for that. But uh, let's talk M&A outlook for, for precious metals real quick. We've seen, as I mentioned in the intro, we've seen the Battle North being taken out by uh, Evolution Mining over the weekend. A couple other deals happened as well. Do you see that picking up that momentum? What, what are your thoughts? And uh, does that also sort of transfer into other commodities as well? Right. Well, then there's also uh, GT Gold and Newmont last week, right? So we, we are we are seeing this pickup. It's it's exciting. Um, it's it's actually playing out uh, kind of how I how I envisioned it and, and what I've been saying recently. Um, I think, especially in precious metals, this is a very ripe environment for M and A. Uh, it is that consolidation period, and oftentimes you'll see when when prices are skyrocketing. The buyers don't uh, potential buyers don't want to go out and make acquisitions because they're scared of paying too high of a price. And conversely, uh, potential juniors that could sell the companies, uh, they see the price of gold going up and they don't want to sell out too early. Um, but these, these consolidation periods are when you generally do see the deals take place. Of course, the, the weird variable in this scenario is coronavirus. And uh, a lot of these acquirers made horrendous acquisitions in the last bull cycle. And so, you know, if they are going to make acquisitions in this cycle, which I believe they will, they're going to double and triple and quadruple check, uh, you know, and, and do way more due diligence than they have in the past. And that includes site visits. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a surprise to me at all that the two um, deals that we've just seen most recently are North American head. Oh, well, in the in the case of GT Gold Newmont, um, you know, a North American headquartered miner uh, acquiring a North American asset 
And sure, with Evolution's Australian focus, but they, they have a, a good presence already in Canada and the Red Lake District. So it's easy for those geos to, to go and, and, and put the boots on site, kick the rocks and, and make sure they're not making any major mistakes. So I think, you know, probably m and activity for the next few months, at least, will be mostly confined to, to, to North America um, and, and jurisdictions where there's already geos on site. Um, but once the vaccine goes out, I think the, the M&A uh, binge will, will go more more global. And uh, and I'm excited about that. Um, conversely, just quickly on the on the battery metal and uh, and base metal front. I mean, we, because of this run we've seen over the past six months, um, I think I don't expect any major M&A activity for the foreseeable future here. You know, we can we can talk again once when there's a consolidation period and, and things may change. But I think if you're if you're looking to play takeouts, uh, focusing on those on those high quality uh, gold and, and silver development projects are, is probably the place to be. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I'm curious because South America is lagging way behind in terms of vaccine rollout. So uh, like I've been hearing cases are exploding again in Peru, for example. So I don't, I don't expect too much happening in terms of M&A in that jurisdiction, mm -hmm. for example. Right. Um, let's talk about a bit of a characteristics of potential investments that you're looking at. And maybe we can segue and combine that with your top picks in the fund right now. And why did you pick them that way? Maybe we can actually uh, almost run it through as a case study, your top picks in the fund versus like, why did you pick them? Right, so we can maybe combine yeah. that as well. Um, but why don't you start off? You mentioned copper is the biggest exposure in the in the, in the fund right now. Uh, how are you playing that? Yeah, so I, I should say copper is our largest exposure by metal, but that but that really wasn't. I have to emphasize that that really wasn't necessarily a, a conscious decision. It's more I evaluate deals that come across my desk, and you know I look at seven or eight different factors before I, I look at the specific metal. So that's that's more of a combination of for whatever reason good deals coming across my desk with good people, good assets that happen to be a copper asset, and you know we're maybe at fifteen or twenty percent copper exposure. I need to go back and, and look at the numbers uh, just you know at the beginning of this year, but because of the explosion we've seen in the copper price, that's lifted our overall our, our overall exposure. Um, and the copper space in in particular, I mean a, a few of the holdings that that come to mind. Um, would be Entree Resources, uh, Salazar um, Resources, uh, EMX, due to their uh, Timic MX 0.5% uh, NSR could potentially be a, a copper-focused uh, focused name there. Uh, we're Mindoro Capital shareholders. So, so as you can see, a lot of these are either royalty-focused or, or um, prospect generation-focused. And that's more uh, kind of a, a bias, a personal bias, and the type, types of business uh, models that, that I like to, to invest in. So we don't own, for, for better uh, or worse, um, any of the uh, mid-tier producers, some of which that have gone up you know, 10x over, over the past 12 months. That's, that's fine, though. That's just not our, not our MO. We only own two, diff two different uh, production stage stories in the portfolio. Um, we, we are about 30% exposed to cash flow and royalty names, but I'm really not an, an operator type of, type of guy. And um, yeah, I guess the, the copper name, and again, this is not a recommendation, not, not my place, uh, but I can say that the copper name, focus name that we've been buying um, over the past uh, you know, 12 weeks has been Lara Exploration, uh, which, is a, which is a name I like a lot, uh, led by Miles Thompson, um, incredibly experienced, sold his last company, Reservoir Minerals, for you know, over 500 million Canadian, uh, just, just five years ago, I believe, five or six years ago. Um, this is his next vehicle. It's trading at a 25 uh, million Canadian market cap. Um, it's trading within 30 percent of its of its 52 week lows last seen in the March uh, uh, 2020 bust. Um, you know, they have an interesting they have multiple assets, multiple royalties. But one one uh, of note is the Planalto project in Brazil, 
uh, where they're partnered with Capstone Mining. And Capstone here has gone up literally, at least when I last checked, 10x over over the past uh, over the past 12 months, while while Lara has been entirely just, neglected just, yeah. uh, by by the market. And I believe they're going to be drilling there um, somewhat soon. They've actually done a couple bolt-on acquisitions to that land package, including one just announced this morning. And so I, I, I think you know if if you want to play copper at this moment, it's it's better to go into a name like Lara, one that's not talked about. You're not seeing bandied about on MinTwit. You know, it's not up four or five X this this year already. Um, and I think there's kind of clear downside protection to, 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 to some degree based off of where we saw. So that, that's kind of the way I'm, way I'm playing um, copper in, in particular. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and, and we, there's a few other names we're adding to in, in similar situations that aren't ca- uh, uh, copper focused. Sama Resources is a name that yeah. we've been buying recently. You know, their market caps, I think at this point, 40 percent, 45 percent covered by SRG mining shares. So there's at least some defined downside here. This thing's not going to go to zero before it starts trading out its cash and marketable securities. Cisco Metals is another one. That one's been a real dog. It's been a disappointment for a lot of shareholders. But you have Bob, you have Bob Wares, who just sold his last company just a few years ago for close to two billion Canadian, and he put close to twelve, thirteen million dollars of his own money on the open market, not through sweetheart deals with warrants where he's taking it all and but boxing out shareholders. He's buying on the open market, and you have an opportunity to get in alongside him. He clearly has a lot of conviction here. So I'm kind of liking the names with good people involved that haven't really seen the uplift that we've seen with a lot of other names. But I think either A, we'll play catch up if the market continues in this vein, or B, if shit hits the fan, excuse me. But if things get really ugly like they did they did last year, um, there'll be at least some defined downside versus some of these names that are up many, many multiples over the past 12 months. That's how I'm thinking about things. No, those are fantastic. Like So people, um, working capital situation, copper or like sorry uh, commodity exposure to degree like those are all the the box i'm just summarizing sorry what you said like okay what, what's important for you and you mentioned people a couple times miles thompson bob wears people you yeah. like to follow you sort of like tmock also like you mentioned tmock the tmock royalty for example in emx um mm-hmm. so you followed the property into emx more or less right and right. that's going to be right. cash flowing tremendously i think later this year i think they were starting production there so Fantastic summary there. Really, really appreciate it, Matt. Um, I think we covered most of it. One last question. Where's your first site visit going to? <laughs> first site visit. Well, um, a, a childhood buddy in my, of mine, um, our dream has been to visit a place called Socotra. And I was mentioning this to, uh, to you right before the, the interview. It's this almost magical island off the coast or in the Horn of Africa. Uh, it's technically part of Yemen. Um, but it's kind of getting annexed slowly by the UAE. But if anybody's listening and interested in Socotra, look up Google Images. It looks like it's out of a Halo map or, or one of these <laughs> these new video games. Um, and so as of now, I believe there are flights going from Cairo to there. And so w- the site visit I'm probably most interested in right off the bat would be uh, to see Alta Strategies, um, if possible, and their newly acquired lands in, in the Nubian Shield. Uh, there was a big auction uh, just within the past four weeks um, by the government of Egypt. And there are about five or six different participants, um, and including B2 Gold, uh, Barrick, I believe. And Altus Strategies was, was one of them. Um, and they got some very, very prospective ground. Management seems really excited about that. Seems like they're going to drill 
at least do one or two passes with drilling themselves before they consider optioning it out to other other parties. So um, if I could wrap in a, a visit to this to this uh, new newly acquired ground, in addition to the Socotra visit, that would be an absolute dream trip. So we'll, we'll see if we're able to pull that off. That, that'd be fun. I love the Nubian Shield. It's, it's an incredible uh, mineral mineral belt and it's incredibly underexplored. Partly for good reason. That's a very difficult part of the world to operate, but it's 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 a beautiful place, and uh, there's a lot of mineral wealth there, and there's no doubt about it. Fantastic. Well, you're dreaming of far-flung destinations. I'm just happy to go to Newfoundland just to go across country. So <laughs> that'd be fun too. That would be fun too. Really, anything. I'm getting stir crazy. I don't even have to leave the country, but I'd love to see a couple projects in uh, Eastern Canada, and it's just off limits right now. So. Cool. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. It was great talking to you. This was long overdue, so I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see you on a site visit again soon and uh, catch up with you over a beer, perhaps. So that'd be fantastic. Um, Let's do this soon. Where, where can we find on. more? I think mjgcapital.com is the website where you yep. where investors can find your investor letter. You're on Twitter as well. Uh, Geiger yep. Counting. Capital.com. Um, yeah, investor letters, uh, past interviews. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the Twitter is Geiger Counting. Fantastic. Matt, yep. thanks so much, everybody else. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. This was SF Live episode 146 with Matt Geiger, uh, managing partner of MJG Capital Fund. And it uh, was quite excited to hear what he's been thinking about or what he thinks about the commodity super cycle that we're in right now. And uh, make sure to follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Hit that subscribe and like button. And don't forget to turn on that bell notification button or icon as well. We do all our interviews live. That way you do have a bit of an advantage over other investors that are watching perhaps the replay. Make sure you use that. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow with another company interview. Thanks so much.